0: Welcome to the Stitch Please Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork, and I am bringing to you another very special episode. I know you all get tired of me saying this, that this is a special episode of the Stitch Please Podcast, but if you haven't learned by now, all of our episodes are special, and today's one is especially special. Because I am talking today with Rashida Coleman Hale. She is an author. She is a surface designer. She is a fabric designer. She is a sewist. I mentioned author, but I did not mention award-winning author. So that also has to go in there. And I'm gonna talk with her today about her books, about her sewing story, about what it means to design for big companies, what it means to design for yourself. And I'm just delighted to be here. And I, I was saying earlier, I already feel like I know Rashida because I love her work. I have her, I have a print, I have a ton of fabrics. I also have, this is a salvage <laughs> from one of her lines with cotton and steel. And the reason I love it is these four women right here. <laughs> this is, this. I, I felt like it, the, the whole fabric could have just been this. That's my favorite
1: salvage ever.
0: It is- I- same, Rashida. <laughs> Same. It's your favorite salvage ever. It, is, it is mine. mine. <laughs> and the thing about me is that I save salvages. I always have this grand vision of making a salvage project. So I have salvages that I've saved for what feels like a decade worth of salvages. And this is still the top one. That's my favorite. I want so, um, one three times if I could. <laughs> it is so Awesome, and so y'all, um, this this is a video episode. I'm having a wonderful video conversation with Rashida this morning, and if you are a Patreon subscriber, you get to see this video. But if you are not, you still get to listen to our great conversation. So welcome, Rashida Coleman Hale, and thank you. thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I am so happy to talk with you. I've had such a great time researching your work, and I was super excited about one of your books is in Spanish. Like, and it's just like. Yeah. It's just amazing let's get started with your sewing story how did you start sewing what how do you imagine the beginning of your sewing journey
1: my I was 12 one summer my mother was like you're gonna learn something this summer <laughs> and you should you should learn how to sew and I was very unhappy about it <laughs> it didn't sound interesting at all or anything that I would want to do but she took me to the fabric store and she had me pick a pattern. Um, it was this, this was back in the 90s. So it had a, it was like a vest with these parachute-looking hammer pants. <laughs> and that was your first sewing project. Yeah. It's
0: like, let the record show that Rashida's first sewing project was made under duress. It
1: was. <laughs> I was very upset, but you know, I was like, all right, I got to listen to my mom going with this. And we went and picked the fabric and all the notions and everything. And and I made that outfit. And I think I maybe wore it once because it was hideous. The fabric that I picked was so terrible. It was like... So you went to... So I'm imagining 12-year-old Rashida
0: being dragged <laughs> to the fabric store um, by a mother who she is choosing not to disobey... And walking through the fabric store with her lips all poked out, like, why do I have to be here when I could be doing something better? I could be, I could yeah. be flying a kite or horseback riding. But no, here I am in the fabric store with a bunch of old people. Yes, um, all of that. that. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you get past? Like, I, I just can't, I just imagine you the whole time uh, hot, upset. Picking out oh, fabric, yeah. picking out a pattern. Oh yeah. Uh, sitting at the sewing machine, cutting out the
1: outfit. The whole time you're like, I feel okay. the light. every step. You were resistant. Step. Every, yes. Seriously. Every single step. I hated every moment of it. I hated it. <laughs> wow. Like especially cutting out the pattern. I was like, this is dumb. <laughs> Why is this paper all flimsy? Oh
0: my gosh. That is <laughs> hilarious. So how did you get from being a surly 12-year-old, forced to sew, to somebody in 2006, I read, said that your love of sewing was rekindled. I feel like if you develop such a really strong feeling as yes. an adolescent, it might stick with you. So
1: what switched? My mother was an, uh, a model, so I was, the fashion industry has been in my life since I was very small and I drew all the time, only child, so I had nothing better to do to to entertain myself, so I was just constantly drawing and drawing, and I fell in love with fashion, and I wanted to be a fashion designer, so I went to FIT in New York when I graduated high school and studied fashion design, Mm -hmm. but then I got there, and I hated all the sewing. (laughs) Gosh, I
0: am just, this is hilarious. I know this is your <laughs> actual life story, but I was like, you are when you get surly about something, you really commit. Yeah. I mean, so I- not only were you a you were like it's not like, oh, when I was 12, I hated sewing, but then I decided that I wanted to be a fashion designer. And I was gonna commit to going to the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. And when I fell in love and you were like, nope. I I wanted to draw clothes. I didn't want to sew them. (laughs) Wanted to draw clothes and not sew them. So, how did what kind of sewing classes did you have to do at FIT that cemented your actual hatred for sewing? It was just right from
1: honestly, it was from my first semester. I was like, this is not it. (laughs) So, I switched majors and switched to illustration. But living in New York and everything, I, I, I didn't feel like fashion industry really was for me at the time I was super quiet shy small town girl even though I had traveled a lot with my mother but because
0: still- I, I read that your mother was a model and you spent time in Japan and you had mm-hmm. been in the industry since you were little just by being her child so yeah. you would think that it's like you were coming home when you went to the when you went to fashion and to, to FIT and yeah. we're gonna do fashion design, like this was almost like an inheritance. Your mother was a model, a fashion yeah. model. You like to draw, you're creative, you want right? to- it seemed like the perfect
1: package, but it just wasn't. <laughs> I think my my grandparents raised me because my mom was overseas working so much and, and she lived in Japan. so I was in a small town most of the time. Mm-hmm. even though I spent my summers in Japan and went to school there for a little while and I, I had the opportunity to become very worldly yes. see the world and but I still it was, was so a very shy quiet girl and I didn't I felt like the industry just wasn't for me because I got there and I was meeting all these boisterous fabulous people who were doing all this fun work and, in school and it just didn't feel like it was the right fit for me so I quit school and and tried to figure out what I wanted to do, and I ended up doing a plethora of different jobs in New York. I worked at a nightclub for several years. Rashida, I am loving this story, and I am utterly confused.
0: Yoshida Coleman-Hale is like a wonderful, beautiful walking paradox. This is the girl who hated sewing as a 12-year-old, then goes to fashion school and continues to hate it. Fashion mm-hmm. school is challenging for someone who's shy, quiet, maybe an introvert, so you leave there to go work at a nightclub. <laughs> I, I thought you. I left there to work at a library. You
1: know, but <laughs> no, I think I just... I, I got comfortable with New York and I was like okay I'm feeling this groove now I think I like it here and I start going out and meeting people and i worked at the club and and a cocktail waitress and I also uh, did coke check and and then um I finally I did a bunch of like temp work like going around New York City working in in different offices I got to work at Reuters for a couple days and and I actually did one silly job for them where for a whole a whole summer, they drove me around in a car and had me deliver PGA tournament <laughs> invitations to all the CEOs they had invited to the event. And they wanted them hand-delivered, so they picked me to do it. <laughs> so which company was this that you hand-delivered these invites for? For Reuters. <laughs> the news service? Yes, it was a PGA tournament that they were hosting, and they had invitations for all these CEOs of uh, Fortune 500 companies, and 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 and, and 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 yeah, I remember they had a driver for me, and I had my little suit on, and they drove me around Manhattan, and I went around to all these different companies, and it was funny going into the buildings, like I have to hand deliver this to this. Being CEO person,
0: no, I cannot leave it with you. I (laughs) need her or him, probably him, right away, so I can put (laughs) this into his hand from the Reuters organization. Yes,
1: so I got to do that, and God, I think I had a a boxes of them, and it was so fun. Being driven driven around
0: New York, I think, is fun because (laughs) driving (laughs) in New York is not fun. No, it's not being a passenger. It's pretty nice because you can see a lot of stuff. It's pretty cool to look
1: around New York and you can admire the building. And the back of a fancy town car going in all these buildings that you would never go into. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wow. That I is, had all these fun, quirky jobs. And then I well, were you in. drawing
0: at all in the interim? Were you drawing in your spare time? Were you doing any illustrations? Or were you completely occupied with just the hustle? It
1: was just my hobby. It turned into a hobby, and that's what I just kept doing. I, I never stopped drawing. I kept doing it. And then finally, I settled in at a job in, at Time, Inc. in HR. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: So... I'm thinking about you, and of course, I'm so silly. I was like, oh, they're driving her around. I didn't know you were going to say to deliver PGA invites. I thought you were going to say they drove me around to places so I could make illustrations.
1: No. <laughs> That's the craziest thing. But they were like, we want these hands delivered. No mailing. no will drop it off There's in the a lobby. money
0: doing this. <laughs> That is incredible. That is incredible. <laughs> so you're in New York. You're doing all these different jobs. You're moving through the city in ways that feel good and comfortable to you. How do you move from there to what you're doing now, to the, the story of starting to say, I think I would love to have my art yeah. on fabric. I'd like my art to have a broader canvas, a broader reach, just my sketch pad. I went
1: home to Florida in. And- I needed to regroup, and I, I started working down there doing HR at
0: Starwood. And- that's great. Starwood yeah. is that is that a hotel? The- hotel chain. And where in Florida were you? Because that's where I'm from. I'm from Florida. In Orlando. Oh, I'm from West Palm Beach. Okay, nice. My uncle was down there. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. So yeah. my mother and my, my mother was born and raised there. My father, who's passed away, was born and raised there. Okay. I was like a fourth generation, born and raised in that community, and my sister is now in
1: Orlando, but believe it or not, she's moving to California. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was born in Orlando, and my family uh, grew up in, uh, I grew up in Winter Haven, which is in Polk County. Okay. High school there. Yeah. Like, what a
0: small world! I tell you. So you you regrouped. You're working at Starwood. You meet this <laughs> new this huge new life change comes about, and then it's what are you like off to the races with the illustrations and drawing? And now I'm I know what I'm gonna do.
1: I got married and I have my little girl in 2006. So I suddenly was a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. And she was the best baby. She was so good. She was like, I'm just going to sleep all the time. <laughs> barely, her cry was like, <laughs> oh, it was oh, nice. oh, like oh, look at y'all. The baby like, crying. Isn't it so sweet? Yeah. <laughs> it was a trick. Anyway. <laughs> this is how to get you to have more babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was a trick. But um, she was was so good. And I was home. Uh, We had moved to New York, back to New York. And and I was home with her and I was bored. And my husband was like, well, you're sewing and making, why don't you start a blog or something? So he bought me a a camera, the Canon Eos. And I was taking pictures of the stuff that I was sewing for her. And I just started to blog, gave me something else to do in the meantime and it got, started just getting popular. Mm-hmm. So I was making things, and then I opened a little sh- Etsy shop, and, and then I got contacted by, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Publisher. <laughs> who had seen all the, who had
0: seen the things in your blog, who had seen the photographs, who seen yeah. how you could write, all yeah. these
1: things. And so a publisher stuff. reaches out to you and says what? She started, she was starting Stitch Magazine and wanted to have me, do some projects for the first issue. And so I did that, and and it was so fun writing those projects and, and the articles and things. And and then I I was like, this is my end. I was like, I in contact with a publisher. Let me ask her about writing a book. So I I emailed her, and I asked her, and she said, that's funny. I was going to ask you to do one with us. <laughs> and that's how I got the, the, the book deal for I Love Patchwork. Oh, that is so
0: beautiful. That is so beautiful. I love this story. I love how the story you're telling us means that just because things don't go in the anticipated direction that you expect doesn't mean that you're not going to end up with the outcomes that you want. Exactly. For most people, having a baby is not the most free time they will ever have. Yes. <laughs> Very few people have like, you have, you seem to have had the idea of a baby mm-hmm. um, considering that the baby slept so well and just to <laughs> do her own thing. And the baby would say, mommy, are we going to draw today? <laughs> um, <laughs> what are we doing today, mom? What are we doing today? I am preoccupied with my own interests right now, mommy. So I think you should you should turn to your interests. <laughs> you had like the most solicitous baby ever.
1: I know. She was so agreeable. It was ridiculous.
0: <laughs> so you got asked. And so I love Patchwork. And this was the the 2000, uh, 2013 published. Oh, book. that was 2009. 2009. Oh, I'm looking at the dates for the reprints because it was reprinted. It was, I had a paperback edition and the Spanish edition in 2016. So yes. then book that was published first in 2009 and has had life after life. What does that have a book that continues? Because I think it's one thing, like I, I'm a professor, I publish a book. We, that's what we do. We publish books, but they're not like read by everybody. They're usually read by other scholars, graduate students, some undergraduate students, mm-hmm. um, but yours, people are loving it and they want to access it in different languages. And so tell me, mm-hmm. what is that like to go from a blog to a magazine writer, to a published author that's teaching other people to love patchwork like you did?
1: I, uh, it was mind-blowing. It really was. It just made me feel like I felt everything had just come full circle. Like all the skills that I had learned up to that point were all just meshed together and, and made it so that I had what I needed to, to do the, the work. And and yeah, that's what it turned into. And it's just mind blowing. And I couldn't even believe that like my book was all over the planet. <laughs>
0: yes. yes. <That's laughs> I'm also very glad that you were honest and you named the book I love patchwork instead of I love sewing. <laughs> um we, there was a time in your life that was not the case at all. By that point, do you think that you could have said I love sewing? Because you said you're saying that. It was yeah. fun to write the descriptions and the work for Stitch Magazine as it started to develop. You blogging about this, so you're writing regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and an early blogger as well, like you're writing regularly. Mm-hmm. And so reading your blog, it doesn't look like this is the blog of somebody who had to be dragged to the fabric store <laughs> and chained to the sewing machine as a 12-year-old. You <laughs> a punishment to finish her MC Hammer pants.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It absolutely rekindled my love for it, just sewing and making stuff for the baby. And it was like, wow, you get this machine and you have this fabric, this floppy fabric, and suddenly you can construct it into whatever you want. And it, ex- it really just exercises part of my brain, like the logic part of trying to figure out patterns and how to make things like that. I love that. Yeah, and I just love color and patterns. And so it just really all those things just come together. And it was like, oh, snap. I think I like to soak. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? It's, maybe my mother knew what she
0: was talking about after all. This is interesting. <laughs> That's that's fantastic. I was thinking about the sewing for babies, right? Sewing for babies, sewing for little kids. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you see a connection to that and Zaka, which translates to little things. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's something that is special about sewing things for little people, sewing baby things, sewing little things Mm -hmm. um, that you talked about, for example? I think that Zaka style... Was published in 2011? Yes, 2011. Yes, 2011. So I want to talk about that book, but I also want to just think about what it means to sew small things for small people.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's just fun to make a thing and, and, and give it to your little one and just see their reaction and just watch them play with it and, and <laughs> the joy they get from it. And then sometimes they're like, yeah, I don't want to play with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> It's the whole spectrum of emotion that I love so much from that. And yeah, I guess there would be some connection of just making really adorable, attractive things to little ones. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's just something about, I think, about the, the Zaka that is just so cute. And I wanted to, to spend a little time just talking about the times that you spent in Japan. As you mentioned earlier, your mother was a fashion model. And mm-hmm. so you would, do, you would spend summers in Japan. So a lot of your formative years was spent there. And yeah. it's clear that you picked up on not just language and culture, but mm-hmm. through schooling and through having friends and developing relationships. Which city were you in? Do you remember some of the cities you were in? They were in Tokyo. In Tokyo, wow, mm-hmm. that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, I was saying we we're just right smack in the middle of that big city, and um, it, it, Japan is so safe, and was was so safe then. Like we, I remember some hot nights we just leave the front door open. <laughs> the neighbor's cat would come in. That's how safe it was. <laughs> you all
0: have anything here that I might that, our house just Check out, the guy. <laughs> what they're feeding me in my house what are you all having today I thought I smelled something interesting over here
1: uh-huh. <laughs> yeah it was so safe and I was able to again being the only child I would just get up and get on my bike and go and I rode all over that city and just checked things out. I went into shop. My mom would give me pocket money. So after school, I would just go off and, and just look at things and explore. And I loved being able to do that at such a young age. There's so many cities here where you can't do that. You do that as much. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think just soaking all that in and all, all the color and quirkiness that, that they have there in their culture, I just soaked it up.
0: <laughs> that is wonderful. Because I know, for example, like, I know that kawaii is very popular, which I believe is also from Japan. And it's these little, it's, I, I think kawaii it means cute? Kauai, yes, it means cute. <laughs> How do you pronounce it? I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. Kawaii. Kawaii. And it's, it is, it's like little tiny sushi rolls with eyes and a yeah. little smile, you know? <laughs> and so I guess I'm interested in like the relation, as you were saying earlier about sewing things for little people and trying to see the reaction of your child when they play with something you've made for them or mm-hmm. when they're wearing something you've made for them mm-hmm. and how that makes you feel. And what were you aiming for in the 2011 book, Zaka Style? What kind of things did you want to highlight or emphasize?
1: That one, because I had done I Love Patchwork, and my idea for that second book was, I wanted it to be titled I Love Patchwork, T-O-O, and I wanted to compile patterns from people around the world who also love patchwork. (laughs) So, I made the um, proposal with Interweave, the publisher I was with before, and they didn't want to do it <laughs> so I was like okay <laughs> deuces <laughs> I pitched it somewhere else and they picked me up to stash books at c Publishing so they changed the name obviously it couldn't be I love Patrick too because I had already had the book with the other company another company so we decided to call it Zaka Style but the premise was just I wanted to see what other people's interpretation of that was the patchwork love because it's just so fun to pull all those different fabrics together and not even just in uh uh, you know the the regular grid patchwork layout but just just wanted to see what other people would come up with (laughs) right no I think that's beautiful I I really do
0: and this idea of speaking cross-culturally with love and respect I think that's something that often gets lost when people are having conversations about cultural appropriation or those mm-hmm. kind of questions that when I think it's one thing to to spend time in a culture and to you know to love and to care for mm-hmm. and be loved and cared for in that space. Yeah. And that gives you a sense of respect and yeah. attention mm-hmm. in ways that sometimes doesn't happen when people are being careless. And yeah. just want to take, they just want to extract, yeah. you know, um, and that is not at all what, what you are doing. And I think this idea of having a, this relationship to this place, to this country, to this city is just so beautiful. And then to bring that to a larger audience beyond Japan, people who might not ever get to go to Japan, get to yeah. see that through your eyes. So yeah.
1: I think that's really wonderful. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, I just, I really loved and ad- admired so many of the, the Japanese sewing books that were starting to become popular here in the States during that time. So I, I wanted to do my own interpretation of that. and, and it, Yeah, yeah, I think that worked.
0: <laughs>
1: I guess, yeah, okay, I guess it worked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to venture to say that it
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> the Stitch Please podcast is really growing. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and ask a favor. If you are listening to this podcast on a medium that allows you to rate it or review it, for example, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, please do so. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you could drop me a five-star rating, if you um, have something to say about the podcast um, and you wanted to include that, a couple sentences in the review box, Apple, makes a really big difference in how the podcast is evaluated by apple how it becomes more visible it really is a way to glean into the algorithm that helps to rank podcasts so if you had time to do that to drop a little line in the review feature of the podcast that would be really appreciated and it would help us to grow even further and faster To talk about some of your the some of the the pattern and fabric design that you've done, and so you're working as a you're I don't know if you're still blogging during all this time that you're writing books as well. Yeah, yeah. I was still
1: blogging, uh, writing books, raising babies, <laughs> moving all over the place, all the things. I don't know, I was crazy. <laughs>
0: You were doing it. You were doing it. You were doing it. And so you said, I have so much more. I have so much free time on my hands between the children, the blogging, the book writing, and and illustrating on the side. You know what I'm going to do? I think I'm going to start designing fabric. So... How hard could that be? Yeah. And so you make that resolution and, and you have designed for so many companies that we re- recognize. Timeless Treasures, RJR slash Cotton and Steel, mm-hmm. uh, Ruby Star um, most recently. And how do you get from blogger, mom, wife, artist, <laughs> author, author, also traveler because you're moving yes. during this time. So nomad. Um, <laughs> to fabric designer? Like, how do you go from that so that I actually have this (laughs) in my my
1: house? There's cut and dry. I asked for it. (laughs) Asked for it. Okay, (laughs) say more about that. Say more about that. I just, you know, I was writing books and I I was like, you know, I love to draw. I I knew illustrators so well because I had already had done freelance work back in the day and taught myself that that program and I was already uh, using it for my own just hobby drawing and, and I was like I think I can do fabric design and I wanted to see there were there was art that I wanted to see that was not out there
0: <laughs> it was art that you wanted to see that was not out there can you say more
1: Yes, I feel like the modern modern fabric, just because I know that's like a dirty word. <laughs> <laughs> the modern fabric design. <laughs> why you say that's like a dirty word? Yeah. It, it, it. How modern fabric design?
0: Why does that sound bad? That sounds good to me. I also love fabric, <laughs> so <if> you like too. <laughs> Tell me why modern fabric design is like a bad word. No,
1: I'm just saying at the time people were like, modern. I feel like it was just the beginning of of modern fabric designers starting to come out of the woodworks and and making a name for themselves instead of just regular traditional fabrics and that kind of thing. So at the time, I remember there being going from being boring to being interesting. Yeah, it's not your Civil War fabrics and that kind of thing. Girl,
0: please, don't get me started on the Civil War (laughs) fabric. The way people fetishize that fabric, I find it deeply alarming and actually racist in my opinion. I absolutely believe that. And I absolutely believe I know people who are actually racist who also love Civil War fabrics because they love the Civil War. And it's just, these are the same people who say appalling things like Gone with the Wind is my favorite movie. And I'm like, oh, wow. Anti-Black racist propaganda is your favorite fucking movie? Like, why would you tell me that shit? Like, I know you don't see color with your lying (laughs) ass, but I'm a Black woman. And I do not care that you love Civil War fabrics and that Gone with the Wind is your favorite movie. What are you trying to
1: communicate to me? with this? But sadly, it
0: is a thing. That's a whole different, actually, I, I like to say it's a whole different podcast, but it is actually this podcast. This is what Stitch Please does. This is what it means to center Black women, girls, and femmes, is that we do not want your Civil War fabric because we don't find our oppression entertaining. No, thank you. <laughs> you're so much better than me you say no thank you i'm like fuck y'all <laughs> oh,
1: no, i guys I say the same but you know'm <laughs> trying to keep her perfect
0: <laughs> hey this is what we are here for this is someone was like lisa i want to do uh i want to do i get someone was helping me out with a one pager or something they were like who are your competitors for your podcast who are your competitors and i'm like I don't see myself as having competitors. There's other sewing podcasts and I like them. Mm-hmm. There are especially some I like, I really like, yeah. but none of them are competing with me because none of them are doing what I'm doing. So I don't see, because none of them are going to say civil war fabrics are racist <laughs> and I don't play with racist bullshit. That's not what we do yeah. here in any way. We do the opposite. We say your Civil War fabric is racist, and then you get to write me letters and say, "No, it's about history, not hatred. It's heritage."
1: Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I'm the wrong person to bring that to. <laughs> so you, because you weren't doing Civil War fabrics, celebrating the Battle of Appomattox, you <laughs> were a bit of a hard time. Yeah.
1: So I think I just wanted to see different fabric, and, and I would have loved to have seen more fabric with us on it and that sort of thing. So what else? <laughs> yeah. But I can't draw, so I have to wait for Rashida to make it. <laughs> um, I think it, it, it's, a, I'm sorry, but it's the truth that the quilting industry is a largely white industry. It is. Oh, there, this is. Yeah. So I want to, I just wanted to to be able to make a name and, and, and try and, and do what I do.
0: Yes, absolutely. You know what it reminds me of, Rashida? It reminds me of the work of Toni Morrison, who in the early 1970s, you might remember, mm-hmm. was working at Random House in New York City. And she was reading all these manuscripts that were coming in. And she was like, where are our stories? Mm-hmm. She wasn't finding them. And so she said famously, and I paraphrase here, If there's a book that you want to read, you need to, and that is what you have done. If there's a fabric that you want, I've talked about this many times. This is not a surprise to anyone who's heard more than two episodes of this podcast (laughs) that I have gone to fabric stores and looking through the lines of snuggle flannel or something for my kids' pajamas. And I see these little brown faces and I'm like, get all excited. And it's a fucking dog. Yeah or a bear, (laughs) you know, anything that's brown and God forbid a monkey, don't get me started. But there's tons of fabrics with little white faces on them, blonde hair kids, redhead kids, brown haired kids. And I guess that's supposed to be their diversity is lots of white people with different color hair. Or they might give us one brown person and that we're supposed to be content with that. It's just <laughs> it's a quota. It's a terrible quota. It's an absolutely terrible quota. So you were pushing against a predominant trend in the fabric design space. And at the same time, making an important intervention. Yeah. Because work that you did opened a wedge where other Black women could see themselves in this fabric that, that we're buying. That's the thing. We're buying this fabric. We're buying fabric that doesn't represent us. We're buying from companies mm-hmm. who don't prioritize our concerns. Yeah,
1: I wish I had come right out of the gate with it. But I feel like I was saying it's largely white industry, so I had to dip my toe. <laughs> yeah. Test the, test the yes. waters and see. <laughs> And I finally found, felt like I had gotten to a place with Patman and steel because women's empowerment was getting so so much airplay. And I was like, I'm doing an African print collection. <laughs> yes. And that's why I ended up doing a coma. And it took some time to get there, but I felt like
0: it's time. <laughs> It is time. It is time. And it is past time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so it's just so exciting to meet people and to talk to people and to talk with you today, because you are someone who did the work to make that possible, Mm -hmm. you know, and that you took a risk. You you were pushing in a space where these people didn't want to be put. And so it required finesse. It required patience yeah but ultimately at the end you got to create something that you were proud of yeah um, and I'm telling you when we see your fabrics when we see something you know how it is it's like we get so excited <laughs> it's, it's like finally we get to have what everybody else has which is having fabric that's a mirror yeah you want to see right? you you want to see you and I'm yeah seeing me <laughs> I really do love this, and I love the sketches and the drawings and the prints, and I love when you said, I asked for it. I did ask for it. I really like that you asked for it. So, did it come out in terms of, please give
1: me a fabric line, or what does that mean? I took some time and, and, and put some prints together. I had some things on Spoonflower. Yes. It was just getting going as well. That's not, kind of, Yeah. And people were buying some things. And I was like, okay. So I finally, I just sat, sat down and put a collection together. And I started pitching it to different companies. And I got a whole bunch of those.
0: <laughs> you remember why? Do you remember any of the reasons? I love when successful people tell me the things they failed at. <laughs> no, seriously. I think that the podcast is successful, for example. And I applied to so many podcast grant programs and did not get them. That was
1: part of the and process still going. It's part of the process. I just kept persisting because I was like tooting my own horn. I was like, I think I'm a good artist. I can put a fabric collection together. I need the tools to do this. If I can find the right art director to work with, I know that I can do this. So I kept pushing and I kept pushing. And then finally one day, I I emailed Timeless treasures and sent them my stuff in I literally got an email back that same day from their art director. And (laughs) she was like, oh my gosh, I just bought your book. (laughs) Yes. Yes, darling. Yes. I just bought your book. It's sitting here on my desk. And yes, we would love to work with you. (laughs) And there you have it. And it just took off from there. So I had two collections of them. Mm-hmm. And, um, I pitched the third, they weren't really feeling it. So again, I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> um, yeah. On to the next. On to the next. And I, I went, reached out to Cloud9 because I loved their aesthetic and what they were doing and it was organic. Mm-hmm. And, um, I knew Michelle from the Quilt Market. So I reached out to them and they were like, yes. <laughs> I had collections with them, too, and gosh, they were wonderful to work with and probably some of the best people to work with ever. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Excellent, excellent.
0: Excellent. And so from Timeless Treasures, Cloud Nine, and then how did Cotton and Steel come about? Was this something that you worked with friends? Was this the same group of friends that you're with now? And I always wondered how the name came about. Like, what did you all, like, what was the thinking behind the name? So when you moved from Cloud9, was it because you wanted to work with your group of friends or did they become friends through the process of you all working together mm-hmm. at RJR? And I guess I'm trying to understand RJR is the big company mm-hmm. and Copland Steel was one of the yeah, subdivisions? It was a division. I a division. So what does that mean exactly? I don't know
1: how corporations work. Basically, it was just um, another part of their company. But we were their modern division, so modern—the not racist <laughs> division. <laughs> <Love
0: this>. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. I'm still. I'm just joking, R.J.R. Don't sue me. I was just playing around. I'm <laughs> gonna take a joke.
1: Uh, I was living in Atlanta at the time, and I was friends with Melody Miller. She was um, designing with Coca. We were in the living in the same neighborhood, and um, wow to play to play together, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, we became best friends and 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 we would go for runs in the morning uh, around the park. And she was looking for a new home for her fabric. The language barrier was becoming problematic, and they were in Japan outside of Japan, so she was having a little trouble with that and just wanted to try and find something else. She, I guess RJR reached out and had caught one that she was trying to find a home. And they reached out and to her about designing with them. And she was like, I don't think they really, it doesn't make sense for them to just have me. Because <laughs> RJR was yeah. not doing any of those types of things at that time. Right. Um, they were largely traditional. Gosh, we hadn't even heard of them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's pretty traditional. (laughs) But she thought about it, and her idea was like, what they need is like their own division. We talked about it. She talked with some of our other friends that we had known from Quilt Market, just trying to get a feel of what people thought about the idea. So she came up with a pitch and pitched to them, and she was like, I know you're happy, where you are but maybe you want to come play over here yes <laughs> and i was like okay yeah let's do this you know because it was such a good idea and it felt like it was going to change the industry these women doing their thing so yeah she pitched it and they loved it and then we were
0: there we go still uh and i think you have I think that you have changed the industry I feel like whenever I was looking through the fabric store and I saw a fabric you know how they have them folded up so you can only see one Mm -hmm. element I would see it and I would say oh my gosh that is really striking that's amazing and then I would take it out and it was yours (laughs) And so for me, that represents the kind of change that you perhaps were hoping for. Yeah. And that this is a big benefit to that organization to have you all as a division mm-hmm. also working together. It reminds me of, I'm going to make a basketball analogy, but I also am terrible at sports of any kind. <laughs> and I don't follow sports. Do you follow sports? No, I don't. Okay, so good. You won't know if I've messed this <laughs> up. There was some basketball team and... It was like LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and some other person and they wanted to all play together. so they either left Cleveland or and then they went to Miami or they went to Miami I, I don't know it was a big deal. I remember this being a big deal at some point in life. <laughs> and so when I think about you all at Cotton and Steel and now at at Ruby Star, it reminds me of that like people who want to do what they love with people they love. Mm-hmm. You know what? That sounds like an ideal working situation.
1: It it turned into that. We had our we knew each other from being at Quilt Market. Kim was doing her her blog. Ugh, oh my gosh, what was her blog's name? True Up, and that was hugely popular. It was basically like the fabric resource on the internet mm-hmm. at that time for any any news was, uh, fabric related. And then um, Sarah was designing as well. Alexia had her pattern company and um, yeah so yeah melody tapped all of this and, and we had known each other but not that that well but we went off to LA and got together as a group for the first time and we were basically in a hotel <laughs> ballroom laying out our our designs and it just turned out that we worked so well together and we just hit it off. It was like instant family. Nice. I don't know how else. Uh, there's no other way to describe it. It was just instant family, and and we've been sisters ever since. <laughs> that's
0: beautiful. That is truly beautiful. And the idea that you can come together over something that's so revolutionary in my opinion mm-hmm. in the industry that you could do this as a collab- as a collaborative effort mm-hmm. uh, where one person can help to lift up and bring in somebody else mm-hmm. well, it wasn't like
1: competition it was really about communicating together yeah um you know, as an artist you know you it's such a solitary life typically but you don't have other eyes looking at your work and giving feedback in that sort of way peers I should say or the other art director and like that but yeah so it was it was a new concept for us and and then having the color palette all work together was just like what (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. and
0: then you all moved into doing apparel stuff so it was apparel and it was quilt Mm -hmm. and it was like
1: Yeah. We were just it was a new thing and we were like, let's just tip our toe and try everything. You know, RJR was great in that way that they they honestly gave us creative freedom and let us try things and and we were able to do that. And unfortunately it just it didn't work out the way that we had planned. Things just started going south with management and their inventory system was faulty. We weren't getting paid royalties. Our months on end <laughs> with no information of, of why we knew why, but and then we had this other person, another entity came in to the business, and he basically took over. And Mm. we had built this rapport with the owner, and then finally, this new person came in out of nowhere who was selling TV antennas or something who had knew nothing about fabric, (laughs) and he came in and basically swooped in and took over, and just it was just madness and chaos. And there were people in that company who had been there from for years. One woman had been there since she was a teenager, and she was like the vice president and she quit quitting getting fired like it just it it, everything just turned upside down I hope things have settled for them I don't know yeah yeah at the time we just saw red flags and it was like whoa we need to get out yeah Um, and so that's what we decided to do and But we decided to do it together and stay together. I think it was just... For me, I didn't want to continue designing fabric if it wasn't with them. (laughs) I hear that. I hear that because it was such a
0: communal effort Mm -hmm. and you all could retain your individual personalities, your individual priorities, your individual styles, but because of the way that the color palettes work, because of the way that you also... Were such good, you could communicate so well with each other, yeah. that you were doing that were personally meaningful. Mm-hmm. It was like a form of patchwork, shall I say. Everybody's little square worked together to do something really beautiful. Absolutely. Yes,
1: it was absolutely that. We had this beautiful patchwork and none of us wanted to... to to put
0: to, to the same river to it. <laughs> That's right. So now, so the next move was Ruby Star and that is another beautiful company. So how is that going? Are you, Is you, Ruby Star attached to anything bigger or is
1: it... Ruby Star is a division of um, Moda Fabrics. Moda. Yes. Yeah. So... Y'all keep moving up. Can I just... <laughs> y'all keep moving up. We found a new home and it's been amazing. I love Moda Fabrics. Oh, to be I really are just it's just been so good it really has and we're happy and we're doing our thing and we've been doing what we we, lessons learned (laughs) so we're still doing what we do but in better environments and it just feels i feel like ruby star is like cotton Steel's bigger sister who's a little more sophisticated
0: and learned. <laughs> uh, as I told you earlier, I have already ordered five tea towels. I was about to ask you about them. Like, I oh, well, my towels getting here, Rashida. <laughs> She's like, Look, I just draw it, lady. Lisa, don't be, I, now, now I know you have my email address. I don't want you emailing me every two weeks asking about <laughs> these dish towels. That. <laughs> my job is done. After I draw it and submit it, I'm not in charge of inventory
1: or printing it or anything else. Say, I draw it and they give me a check.
0: <laughs> I draw it and I get paid. And then the rest of it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, I think somebody had alerted us because we have one of our members works at a shop in Maryland called Three Little Birds. Okay. And... And she was saying, we're going to get these towels in. We're picking pre-orders. <laughs> and I'm telling you, between our group, I think we must have ordered a minimum of 25. Oh, a minimum. Right. I know, because I bought five. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of us. And everybody, nobody bought just one. I
1: tried to order
0: my own towels,
1: and they were all gone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, hey. <laughs> everybody, can we make sure Rashida gets a towel, not mine?
1: I have to go buy my own towels from somebody's shop gosh ignore the name on the order
0: (laughs) ignore it's like wait a minute Rashida Coleman there's a Rashida Coleman Hale buying some Rashida (laughs) what is happening (laughs) (laughs) it's a very meta moment very very meta (laughs) so what's up next for you what do you have going on next what's the
1: next thing around the corner for you oh my goodness I don't even know, Lisa. I don't even know. I'm just trying to get through 2020 like everybody else right now. I know. know. When this episode
0: airs, it will be February 2021 and things will be very different. I'm just saying different because (laughs) different is all that we can promise. Octavia Butler taught us change is uh, certainty. Change is certainty. That is something that we can always rely on is
1: change. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I want to do right now I would love to explore illustration and do that a little bit more but I have four children so i got a lot of mouths to feed and I have a day job too
0: Yeah, four kids you're you're momming and now they're a lot of them are schooling at home because mm-hmm. of other restrictions and yeah. everybody is as my my as my son told me recently oversaturated with each other mm-hmm. um, yes so <laughs> I'm actually expecting something spectacular <laughs> because the last time you had a baby, you wrote a book, you, you started a huge blog, you wrote a book, you pitched your fabric. So, clearly life issues are not a deterrent for you. Yes, I hear you saying you've got four children and a husband and a wonderful family and a day job that takes up a lot of your time, and yet I am utterly convinced <laughs> That you have to come out the box with something that's gonna be like, what?
1: <laughs> I have some things up my sleeve, for sure. <laughs>
0: yes, we will just have to be patient. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where can folks find you on the socials, Rashida? Where can we find you if people want to
1: follow you or support you? I'm mostly on Instagram. So it's um, Rashida underscore Coleman underscore Hale. Some weirdo took my whole name. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's <laughs> terrible. i recorded it a couple times, but she won't go away. They're not posting or anything. It's just been there for years. So hence the underscores of my name. But That's strange. I know. People are weird. are.
0: <laughs> and your website is also RashidaColemanHale.com? Yeah, RashidaColemanHale.com. And we can also find your work at RubyStarFabrics.com? RubyStarSociety.com. Rupert Star Society, pardon me, society.com. Rachida, <laughs> this has been so much fun. Oh, thank, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to spend with me this morning. I know it's early for you. Thank you so much for your patience. But thank you. This has been great. This has been really great. I've had so much
1: fun. Thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
0: listening to the Stitch Please podcast the official podcast of Black Women Stitch the sewing group where black lives matter we appreciate you supporting us by listening to the podcast if you'd like to reach out with, to us with questions you can contact us at blackwomenstitch@gmail.com. at gmail.com if you'd like to support us financially you can do that by supporting us on Patreon P-A-T-R-E-O-N and you can find Black Women Stitch there in the Patreon directory and for as little as two dollars a month you can help support the project with things like editing transcripts and other things to strengthen the podcast. And finally, if financial support is not something you can do right now, you can really help the podcast by rating it and reviewing it anywhere you listen to podcasts that allows you to review them. So I know that not all podcasts Um, directories or services allow for reviews but for those who do for those that have a star rating or just ask for a few comments if you could share those comments and say nice things about us at the stitch please podcast that is incredibly helpful thank you so much come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together